you're listening to Shoot the Hostage. I'm Sarah. And I'm Dan. We're a movie-obsessed couple that delves into a different film each week based around a theme. This season the theme is Aliens, and we're covering eight extraterrestrial-themed movies. Shoot the Hostage contains explicit language and mature content, as well as major spoilers for the chosen film. We really hope you enjoy listening and stick around. So, Sarah. Dan. I have only one rule. Oh, no. Everyone listens. No one stops listening. You stop listening. Maybe I'm not going to say that bit. In case we get (laughs) entangled in some kind of algorithmic thing. It sounded like you were about to say two rules. No. You have to keep listening and what's the second thing? Come on, you apes. You want to live forever. (sighs) What were we talking about today? Oh, I wonder. (laughs) We're taking it back to the 90s. I don't know if we've done many 90s movies. I haven't got the list in front of me. We may have done, we may not have done. I don't remember doing many. We will. Yeah, we'll get We definitely to... will. What? We've done another 1997 movie. What am I thinking? What have we done? Remind me. Con Air. Oh, shit. <laughs> yeah, that's why I don't remember. Yeah. I've tried very hard to forget. Starship Troopers, I believed, was released a mere few months after Con Air. What a shit year. What a great fucking year. <laughs> Do you know what else was released in 1997? Uh, tell me. Mr. Bean, the movie. Oh, good Lord. See? <laughs> what a terrible year for cinema. I enjoyed that movie. But um, there was there were stories about young people sneaking or buying tickets for Starship Troopers. Or oh, sorry, there was just, let's rephrase that. There were stories I've heard of people buying tickets for Mr. Bean, but sneaking into Starship Troopers. I've heard that as well. Well... I saw it at the cinema. I didn't buy a ticket for Mr. Bean. Did you also go and see Mr. Bean, though? Yes. Yeah, I thought you might have done. (laughs) You were the one. Yes. But I saw Starship Troopers at the cinema when I was, I guess I was 13 years old when it came out. Naughty. Um, It was a 15 in the UK cinemas. Which is wild. Yeah. But uh, upon home rental release, it was an 18. I mean... Which... I'm no prude, but I think that's more appropriate. I think that's a fair rating for this movie because you've yeah. got, well, it's a Paul Verhoeven movie. so <laughs> Yeah, say no it's more. It's going to have tits, cock and violence. Actually, there's no penis in this one, is there? I don't think so. No, we'll, we'll get to the shower scene, I'm sure. But I yeah, don't I bet rem- we will. don't remember seeing a willy. <laughs> I'm sure, I think I'll remember seeing little Casper. <laughs> <laughs> that is the worst thing you've said in some time. Is it? Yes. Okay. So, shall we start with Paul Verhoeven? Why not? I don't know a huge, great deal about the man himself, Mm. other than he seems kind of batshit. He's insane, yes. I've watched a lot of interviews with Paul Verhoeven in preparation for this podcast, but just in general as well, because Robocop is in my top three all-time favourite movies. I thought you were going to say your top one. (laughs) It's somewhere in my top one. I can't remember the last time I looked at it, but I think I think you had it at number two. Um, Terminator one and two are kind of joint first. That's not allowed. That's not allowed. Well, I make the rules. I do what I fucking <laughs> like on my list, all right? I, I can't have one Terminator movie without the other. I can only have the only two Terminator movies together. <laughs> the only two. Yeah. Right, yeah. So I was kind of a, 
a big, big fan of Paul Verhoeven when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. And I grew up watching Robocop from about four, four or five years we old. We know. You never shot off about <laughs> it. But I'm just trying to set the scene because when Starship Troopers was released in 1997, I had been primed very much for on Paul Verhoeven because of Robocop and Total Recall. So even at 13, you knew it was the same director and that piqued your interest, did it? Yes. Okay. Well, the trailer looked amazing. Yeah. The effects looked great, which we'll get to. Mm-hmm. And it was directed by Paul Verhoeven. So I kind of knew what I was signing up for. Ticked all your boxes. Ticked all my boxes. And they asked me, would you like to know more? And I said, yes. Get me a Who fucking th- who's ticket. Who's they? The, it's the people. It's this the- sounds insidious. Who was talking to a 13-year-old boy? <laughs> 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 Maybe we should delve a little deeper into that. It might explain some of your issues. <laughs> Let's not get into that. That's between me and my therapist. Mm-hmm. And my weird uncle. <laughs> um, <laughs> Paul Verhoeven. So, Paul Verhoeven was your weird <laughs> uncle. That explains even more. I wish. Yeah, he was, he was chasing me around uh, my bedroom pretending to be a giant bug. <laughs> oh, Johnny. <laughs> what a strange dude. Yeah. Tell me more about him then. So he was born in 1938 in okay. Holland. He was raised during the Nazi occupation of Holland and he was raised near a Nazi military base that, that used to launch V1 and V2 rockets to against its enemies. Wow. Okay. So I think I wouldn't normally go into that much detail or on, on a director's past, but I think that is very relevant for, for the movie that we're talking about today. Yeah, he's made um, he's made quite a few movies that touch on militaristic themes shall we say so yeah that's definitely relevant yeah so but so he was born in 38 raised uh in that era, in that time period and then he went to university and he got a phd in maths and physics fuck off <laughs> yeah. he's a doctor well, yeah he's, he's got a doctorate I, I, if, if that is that what that means i think so okay <laughs> He, I don't know. I'm a big dumb dummy. He's a clever boy and he knows maths. I dropped out of uni. What do I know? <laughs> so did I. <laughs> <laughs> That's why we just talk about films instead of making them. Yeah. So, yeah. So he's, he's a pahud. Mm-hmm. He's got a pahud. So he, he leaves university. He joins the Royal Dutch Navy and he starts making documentaries about the military. So after that, he starts making television in Holland and then moves on to film feature work and then eventually moves to the US. But uh, that brings us up to right up to the point where he's in sort of the mid 80s and he's making these uber violent satirical movies like Robocop, like Total Recall, like Starship Troopers. Mm hmm. It was also written by Ed Neumeyer, who also wrote Robocop and Okay. And Anacondas. <laughs> right. One of the Anacondas, the big snake movie. Uh, yeah, I'm aware. Yeah, that's what that is, right? <laughs> yeah. And he's written, I think, all of the Starship Troopers movies, or at least worked on them. Yeah, I d- can we just stop there for a second? I didn't realise there were five of them until this week. I believe two of them are animated, but they still count. Yeah, there was um, number two was called Hero of the Federation, I believe, and number three was called Marauder, and then you've got Invasion and Traitor of Mars, I think. Okay, I'm gonna potentially embarrass myself and say I've only actually seen the first one. I haven't seen any of the others. I've seen the first three. Yep. Two is just not even worth your time. It's kind of it's quite an intriguing setup. The budgets were cut to like it was a home 
it was a vi- straight to video release so there mm-hmm. was almost zero budget phil tippett directed the sequel the first sequel dinosaur wrangler phil tippett yes and he didn't make a very good movie <laughs> right so number two but, was a number two yeah, number two was number two I, I i wonder how much of that was was because of the minuscule budget but the, the premise sounds kind of intriguing I, th- I believe they were trapped on an outpost if i remember correctly and it was just basically this claustrophobic kind of horror-y type affair that sounds right up my street it sounds great that sounds kind of event horizon-y yeah event horizon-y yeah but shit, you say. <laughs> but yeah, but pony. Okay. It was rubbish. <laughs> and then Starship Troopers 3, which was directed by Ed Neumeyer. Now, I believe the agreement was when they were making the first movie that if they had an opportunity to make a second one, Phil Tippett would direct that. And if there was an opportunity to make a third one, Ed Neumeyer may direct that. So he kind of had to have first refusal or they had to find a right. very good reason for him not to direct it. Okay. And so, nobody could. No. <laughs> But but the first the first movie was made for around a hundred million dollars and it, it grossed one hundred and twenty million so it didn't do it didn't do great I theatrically. Mean, I'm gonna be honest and say I'm kind of shocked that it made as much as one hundred and twenty million. I mean I remember none of the marketing at the time. It was just not on my radar at all. So I don't know how accurately it was marketed but i'm going to go out on a limb and say given the critical reception maybe not super accurately well i believe it was received a little better over here than it was in the states for example and it's curious because people would have been very familiar with verhoven particularly robocop i would say that is is the closest movie to this that he's done Mm mm-hmm so there's obvious satire there yeah and i i don't want to say that a lot of people missed the satire. I think what a lot of people missed was probably that the movie itself is as if a future fascist society had made that movie. Yeah, think, it was supposed to like serve as an actual fake propaganda documentary kind of, wasn't right. it? Yeah, and, and I think maybe that's the thing that was lost because that right. does change everything. Because w- yeah. when I saw this when I was 13 years old, loved it. You were just like, big bugs go squish. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, wow. Look at that explosion. He's got green gunk all over him now. Cool. Oh, boobs. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Right. <laughs> yeah. So it works on that level. It works as a fun adventure movie for mindless idiots. <laughs> but <laughs> then... It, just every 13-year-old boy then. It, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> but then as I've grown older, my opinion of this movie has changed. And what it means to me has changed drastically as well. But it's not until I considered the whole thing as a propaganda movie that I really... I think it really clicked into place for me. Mm-hmm. Because it's kind of saying look, you're enjoying this violence, you're enjoying this mindless action movie, but why? Because it was horrible and people's limbs come off and it's gross and disgusting, but yeah! <laughs> so it's got that dual narrative, which is something that I think was somewhat lost on some critics. Although the satire was was pretty obvious and in your face, it's not subtle about it. It's not at all, but I think I, I'm always shocked by the number of people who didn't spot any satire in it the first, like... On, on release yeah that's wild to me yes i agree i mean not that i fully understood it when i was 13 years old obviously i didn't but you must have known it wasn't played straight yeah i i, I came from consuming robocop every weekend where they've got the adverts in it and they're saying catchphrases mm. like i buy that for a dollar now my 13 year old brain is just going comedy that's funny <laughs> but i don't really understand why 
So it, it it felt very, I enjoyed it, Starship Troopers, when I was that age, because it was just very tongue-in-cheek and fun. I didn't quite get all of the satire. Yeah, but so I, it's just more like tonally yeah. that you enjoyed it. Yeah, yeah, but but it's it's pretty obvious. It starts with a propaganda video. Yeah. I'm doing my part. Would you like to know more? And it's just lines of people in front of a flag with an eagle on it. Yeah. Oh my God. It could not be more obvious. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right. And it's Uncle Sam needs you. Exactly. Yeah. And I think because I had that knowledge of Robocop, I can sort of see the through line there and like, okay, we're making fun of something here. I just don't fully understand what. <laughs> right. It's the people who kind of missed the point entirely and saw it as something that was kind of glorifying. Nazism, for example, those yeah. like who were those people? Or even just a the the militarization of the government and its people. Yeah, like military the, industrial complex, private prisons, all of it. So it's a joke. Yeah, it's ripe to be satirized, and this film does it really well. So I, how did people miss it? It's it's very interesting because it's something that you know, I'm not going to get too much into politics, but it's kind of something that both left and right can enjoy for different reasons. Yeah, I can see that. The left are like, oh, isn't, you know, this, this fascist state is is terrible. And the right maybe are watching it and going, cool, this is a cool, fun war movie. And everybody's being nice to each other. There's no racism. There's no sexism. Mm. Kind of harder to spot um, <laughs> re- yeah. re- bad regimes when there's those things aren't going on. But yeah, it's very interesting that it starts and ends with these adverts. And it's kind of in the style of the triumph of the will, the, the Nazi propaganda video from 1930s i think it was and okay. also the hoven's own experience with making military documentaries i haven't had a yeah. chance to go and watch any of those that would be super interesting to do that are they available anywhere then i don't know okay but obviously he's got that frame of reference so it's very interesting to see he can continue to use those and i think maybe newmeyer might have written those adverts in so that may it may have come from ed newmeyer those particular elements of it i mean it's probably a combination of both if they're sort of frequent collaborators yeah but yeah so this was um am i right in thinking this was based on a, a book yeah it was it was based on a book yeah it was um based on the bible so <laughs> right <laughs> no i'm joking the bible yeah <laughs> Yeah, I think it was released in 1959 called Starship Troopers by Robert A. Heinlein. Okay, I've never read any Heinlein. My first exposure to the name was in the faculty <laughs> when I was 15. Mm, that's right. Doesn't young, what's his name? Hobbit boy. What's his name? Elijah Wood. Oh, that's it. Yeah. Elijah Wood. He Doesn't he mention that when he's talking about sci-fi writers? No. Okay. Clear Duval does. Oh, beg your pardon. <laughs> That's it, why I was paying attention. <laughs> you know, I'm getting mixed up between that part and the part where he talks about Barry Sonnenfeld and Roman Emmerich. <laughs> <laughs> right, of course. Who's <laughs> yeah. great directors. God, that's so 90s, that movie. We'll get to the faculty one. Oh, yeah, we better. What year did the faculty come out? 98. Oh, there we go. <laughs> yeah, so it's funny because I heard somewhere that Neumeyer was kind of working on a script and someone said to him, oh, this sounds an awful lot like Robert Heinlein's book, Starship Troopers. And I haven't read the novel either, but apparently it's very militaristic. It tends to have a, a point of view that militarism is good. And you need these big systems of, of governance and mindless kind of people following orders in order for a society such as that to operate. And so I'm just going to interrupt you there. I've, I heard differently. I also haven't read it, which if what I've read is to be believed means we have something in common with Paul Verhoeven, because apparently he started reading it but never finished 
claiming that it made him bored. That's <laughs> too boring. Yeah. And he also called it really right wing. But actually, from what I've read, again, this is complete hearsay. I, I, don't, I can't verify this because mm. I haven't read it. But Heinlein was supposed to be quite left wing. So that may have been a misunderstanding on Behoven's part because apparently Heinlein kind of depicted the military that way because it hadn't been done quite like that before. And he said he wasn't, he definitely was not advocating it. Heinlein said that. Heinlein said that. Right, okay. But again, this is just what I've read. Yeah. This is speculation. And I guess it's one of those situations where art kind of takes on its own journey and people interpret it in their own ways. So yeah. that's... Yeah, it's super important for us to say that we've not read the book, so mm -hmm. we can't really have a point of view on its point of view. No. But I've heard lots of people say that it is right-wing and, and militaristic, but that doesn't mean that that's true. It's interesting, though, isn't it, how yeah. people can have completely different readings on it, much like the film. Yeah. I did read, or I've done a little bit of research on some of the differences between the book and the movie. Okay. So... The book doesn't have that much action in it. There are a lot more descriptions of processes and just how things operate. And there's more attention on the training as well. Okay, which is why Verhoeven found it boring, presumably. Yeah, I guess so. I guess so. I read somewhere that the bugs represent communism and operate with a hive mind. So that <laughs> okay. is an interpretation, obviously. Yeah. But it's interesting. Is it pro-authoritarianism? I don't know. In the books, Dizzy is a guy. Yeah, I read that as well. Xander is not in the book. Okay. They got Patrick Meldoon, especially for the movie. <laughs> um, and aren't, aren't we glad? We'd never have uh, fe been able to feast our eyes on that glorious head of hair. Well, we wouldn't have glorious line deliveries such as, all's fair and love and war. Ugh. No mech suits in the movie. There are mech suits in the book. A lot of people were very annoyed. Oh. Annoyed. Yeah. Um, I don't know how I feel about that. Well, apparently in the original scripts, they wanted mech suits. They budgeted for it, but it wasn't enough budget to make it look good. Okay. And it was kind of the opinion, like, look, if we can't make this look brilliant, let's not do it. Because it does look good, this movie. I, I maintain that for 97. It yeah. looks fantastic. Yeah. The effects have aged reasonably well, too. Yeah. And, and also I heard someone say that the mech suits kind of removed some of the drama because they could fly. So why wouldn't they just <laughs> fly up and shoot the bugs from above? Yeah. Okay. Kind of reducing the peril. So yeah. re removing that kind of armor and just having humans exposed to the elements and the peril made it that much more dramatic. And I think that was the right move. Yeah. It would have felt a bit too video gamey. Yeah. I think so. Particularly then as well. And they did for Starship Troopers 3, which I believe was released in 90, um, in 2008. Uh, Johnny Rico's back, Casper Van Dien. Yes. But it, <laughs> it wasn't great. And it concentrated on religion, but it, it did bring in the mech suits, but that had a lower budget than the first Starship Troopers movies. And they did not. And it, it was very video gamey, as you right. just said. Okay. And it was kind of like, oh, I wanted to see this for a decade, but now I wish I hadn't seen it. it oh man, that's a shame. Yeah. It's, so going back to the whole video gamey thing, I don't like, I don't know if these games were very big or not, but I remember on the PlayStation, I used to play um, a series of games called Earth Defense Force. Okay. And I don't know which came first because this film reminds me so much of those games like you're basically kind of a military team running around shooting giant bugs that's basically the the entire premise yeah um and it's great so i just wanted to name drop that Ener energy defense team <laughs> earth defense 
force. Uh, I think. <laughs> oh God, you've made me forget now. <laughs> EDF, because now I'm just thinking about the the, the energy supplier. EDF. <laughs> um, yeah, that's interesting. I wonder if Starship Troopers, the novel, has influenced a bunch of pop culture. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah. Um, it's funny because for something that's been so influential, I don't feel like Heinlein is a name that everybody would recognize. The only reason I know him is because of this movie. Okay. I'm not a huge reader anyway, but it's fascinating. You mentioned computer games, uh, mech suits, Halo springs to mind, yeah. that kind of mech suit set up, the bugs, obviously. Even like Gears of War, they're very sort of, it's heavy duty armor. Not, yeah. not as far as mech suit, but like, yeah, you can see the influence kind of and how far reaching that might have been. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, going back to the book then, so there's no psychic powers in the book. I don't know how I feel about the whole psychic power thing anyway. I don't know if we gained very much from that. Interesting. It was uh, it was used in the movie, I think, to kind of reinforce the brainwashing narrative. So, okay, Carl, which is who's Doogie Howser, um, <laughs> he can read people's minds. He could. We learn early on in the movie that he can put thoughts into a ferret's head. Cyrano. Cyrano, Cyrano was my favorite character. Yeah, so he can. <laughs> Um, and then he later on, we find out at the very end of the movie, he's actually influenced Johnny Rico. So yeah. he's literally telling him what to do through thoughts and brainwashing. As he shows up in his SS uniform. Yeah, exactly. Very subtly. Exactly. <laughs> so I think that it, it's, it was, I think it's a device firstly to, um, so at the end of the movie, he can read the bug's thoughts and tell everyone that the right. bug's afraid. Uh, and that's kind of a way to look at, the society that has made that bug afraid and what, you know, is that good? Why are we celebrating that this bug is afraid? So I think there's probably more of a practical thing so you can get to certain places in the story. But also I think it does reinforce the force. The, obviously the propaganda is there to influence people into a certain way of thinking. And I think the psychic storyline sort of... Um, highlights like the highlights. insidiousness of it. Yeah. 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 That's, yeah. Okay. That kind of passed me by, I'll be honest. But yeah, that makes sense. So Johnny Rico's dad, he's got more of a role in the book, apparently. He is very um, heavily critical on the military, but then his wife is killed while on holiday in Buenos Aires. Okay. And eventually he embraces the military and becomes more pro-authoritarian. Because so, there is like a couple of throwaway lines right at the beginning, isn't there, where he's quite critical of it. He doesn't want his son joining up. Yeah. It's it's funny. There's a It's kind of the world building here. There's little nuggets of information. He's come, Johnny Rico comes from, I guess, quite an affluent family. Um, Rico is actually Spanish for rich. Oh, is it? Yeah. <laughs> oh, there you go. Oh, it's subtle, isn't it? <laughs> so I've read really? anyway. I'm not fluent. So. Johnny, Johnny Rich. Ah, Johnny. <laughs> um, okay. Yeah. So obviously quite an affluent area mm -hmm. and the, Everyone, I thought it was really odd when I was a kid that everyone was American and Californian looking kind of Melrose place people. But they all had like Hispanic names or, I mean, I've never seen anybody look less like a Carmen Ibanez than yeah. Denise Richards. Yeah, or Dizzy Flores. Yeah. Yeah, that's yeah, that's true. And I didn't think of that before. But I don't know. To me, it makes sense because it's set in like what, tw uh, I want to say 2197? Yeah. So it makes sense that at some point in the future, races will become more and more and more mixed and the lines will become more blurred. So it won't be, I don't know. 
Does, I, it, can, it made sense to me. Like that wasn't an issue that I had with the film. Oh, no, I mean, I, when I was 13, I was like, that's weird. What, where's boy? And I was, first of all, let's get on a school computer and then press the on button and wait for 15 minutes for it to load up. <laughs> and then let's type in where is Buenos Aires on a computer and then wait another 15 minutes for it to load a Google result and then go, oh, it's in Argentina. Why is it in Argentina? Um, <laughs> but, but yeah, I thought it was super odd then. But when I think about it now, it's not really explained. But I think along the similar lines to what you were just saying to me, that is a society that has is kind of post-capitalism, post-globalization. Um a lot Ooh. of people will likely have been displaced over the years. Like, yeah. yeah. It makes, makes absolute sense. Yeah. Um, regeneration projects mm-hmm. and um, just the kind of one culture kind of in, uh, taking over everything. That's kind of really where I think that this movie's saying when it's setting it there. So do you think in 2197 we're all going to have American accents? Well, th- that's what this movie is, is saying. <laughs> Three parts to this movie. The, the start is... Johnny Rico, Carl, Dizzy, Carmen, all at school. Yeah, the oldest high schoolers I've ever seen. Yeah. And Michael Ironside is a teacher, Mr. Radchek, <laughs> and he's teaching people about becoming a citizen and, and why it's important. It's something value must be earned and all of that stuff. I wish Michael Ironside had been one of my teachers. I might have paid more attention. Yeah, I, I would have paid attention because I'd been afraid he'd make my head explode. Yeah. <laughs> I would have. I would Whatever have. works. They they kind of had it made. One of their other teachers was a golden girl. Really? Um, yeah. Rue McClanahan. Okay. I want to say. <laughs> I remember golden girls being on the television. Yes. Beloved. That's about as much as I can remember. <laughs> was that the teacher when they were doing the dissection scene? I believe so, yeah. Ah, she was a science teacher. Right. And she had the, the dark glasses on and... Yeah, just before Denise Richards vomits mashed banana. Yeah, that's right. Oh, yeah. We watched a documentary last night called, uh, what was it called? You Don't Know Me. You Don't Know Me. And that was about the movie Showgirls. Yeah. And it stitched together a bunch of scenes from Verhoeven's movies of people throwing up. I think he's got a a puke kink, genuinely. There was like just a seemingly never-ending parade of female actresses throwing up. Yeah. And it was like, oh... Are you telling on yourself? Are you saying the quiet part loud? <laughs> that, that would be an odd kink, but it, it definitely <laughs> He's exists somewhere. He's an odd somewhere. man. <laughs> Is it more like in this, I can't remember the context of the other vomiting scenes. I can't believe we're discussing it. But <laughs> in this movie, it's when Johnny Rico is very happily dissecting a bug. Oh, he's just pulling out all kinds of gubbins from this dead bug. Yeah. Yeah. So is that just like a very visceral response to something very graphic and violent that's happening to her? And is this Verhoeven telling you, you should be throwing up at this because this is gross. Probably. I hope so. Yeah. Yeah. I hope it's not the kink thing that you said. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, why not both? <laughs> yeah. That's what I'm going to go with. I'm going to go with that reading until um, I'm dead or you find someone better. <laughs> oh, that's horrid. <laughs> the school stuff, all fine. They do, they do the, um, there's the, the American football part where he does his flip, which oh comes my back God, later. He loves a flip. fucking flip. He loves a flip in this movie. He's an acrobat as well. Yeah. But when I was a kid, I watched this a lot and I would always skip the first kind of 45 minutes and get straight to... Sometimes I would go to the training scene, but if I was feeling... If time was against me, I would maybe skip to just the part where they get dropped on Klandathu. So it's a very kind of soap opera looking movie, isn't it? It has a kind of a soapy aesthetic is is 
the way I would describe it. It's quite garish. The, particularly the first act. Yeah. It's very kind of brightly coloured, very attention grabbing, I suppose. But yeah, quite fake. Fake looking. The people are very pleasing to look at. Everybody's impossibly attractive. Yeah. With the exception of Jake Boosie. <laughs> I will die on that hill. <laughs> Fair enough. That family have altogether too many teeth between them. Yeah. <laughs> but I think that was that was kind of the point is he wants it to look. And it, it, break, it brings it back to that idea of it being the whole movie being a propaganda film is yeah. the only thing that mattered is what they looked like mm-hmm. and their attitudes. And yes, we're going to fight the bugs and we're going to win. And that's there's no thought behind that. Just repeating what someone else has said. Yeah. So I think a lot of the criticism, people saying that it's cheesy and stuff, while... Fair enough, that's your opinion. And it is very cheesy. It's definitely intentional because going yeah. back to that propaganda film theory. So the whole choice of it making it look like a soap opera with these soap opera stars, I think the cast and crew even refer to it at the production as Melrose Space while they were making it. <laughs> I love that. Yeah, I think most <laughs> of the people were in Melrose Place. Or what was that other one? 90120. Nobody was in either of them. Okay. Really? And I'm, I'm ashamed that I know that. Really? Yeah. I, I don't believe so. Oh, okay. I could tell you most of the cast of both of them. <laughs> so you've already said the budget was 100 million. How upfront with the studio do you think Paul Verhoeven was? Because I struggle to believe that he was able to secure that kind of funding if he'd been 100% honest about his intentions. Like, I, I know I read somewhere that they were able to get away with almost complete creative freedom because, was it Sony? I think it was Sony, wasn't it? Yeah. Um, I know management kept changing at the time, so it was almost impossible for them to keep tabs on him. Yeah. So I think they got away with a lot more than they would have done otherwise. Well, but it, it kind of blows my mind that they got away with so much. And 100 million was so much back then. It's a large sum of money. For that movie, it's a small sum of money. I suppose, yeah, by today's I mean, the standards, cast is huge. In Starship Troopers? Yeah. Yeah, but they were, they, they were nobodies mostly, weren't they? So I can't imagine Do a lot. Think? Yeah, I, I don't think they paid very much to have Casper Van Dien in it. Well, I don't, I'm not talking about Casper Van Dien. I'm talking more like Clancy Brown, for example. Yeah, Clancy Brown, but you know, character actor who was in Highlander once, twelve years ago. I love Clancy. He's Brown. brilliant. He's great. <laughs> but uh, I think you know you got to remember that he made RoboCop and he made Basic Instinct, which were huge hits. Right. Now, so they just trusted him at that point. Well, it. I think so. Probably to a degree. You know, I, I know. Look, I'm sorry, MGM showgirls shat the bed. I know. <laughs> But look, I'm really teaming up with Ned, Ed Newmeyer. He's got he was he wrote Robocop, by the way. He's got a great idea for a movie. Here it is. Here are the storyboards. We've got Phil Tippett. Remember Jurassic Park a few years ago, which made bank? He also worked on Star Wars. We've got all of this team. So it's probably <laughs> a combination of those factors that got it green lit. Right. But as you say, um, it's fascinating that this movie got past the various people that were in charge. But I think it was, as you say, because there were regime changes along the way. Yeah. And no one really looked at the end product. Because it's um, so anti-establishment at its heart. Yeah. And apparently w- w- when he'd finished making it or towards the end, someone at Sony said, oh, they look a lot like Nazi flags. And Verhoeven said, no, they're different colours. <laughs> <laughs> Famously. Oh, well. <laughs> yeah. But that by that point, the movie had been made and it was in a can. Now, I do think that it was originally 
uh, meant to be a summer release and I think that got pushed. I know that um, Air Force One, I think, took it, maybe took its slot because that was it seemed like a more palatable summertime movie. And it, I can see I can see why. I can see why, but I know what I'd rather watch. Yeah, I'd rather watch Starship Troopers as well. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I don't think that this movie really gets made today no, in that, that way. No, well, that's what I was thinking. Like, it's, it's pretty transgressive in a number of ways. Mm. And we only really see that in independent movies these days. Yeah. So I don't know if, because it didn't have a huge return on its budget, maybe the studios are just more cautious. Maybe if it had done bigger numbers, we might see far more of that kind of thing. But Well, I think with Starship Troopers, theatrically, it didn't do great. But when it was released on home video and DVD, it absolutely smashed. And that's where it made its money. And that's what greenlit the two sequels. But they made them direct to video to DVD. So I think they made quite a lot of money from the second one, even though okay. it wasn't great. And then they made the third one, it didn't make quite as much. But I think the problem now with blockbusters is that a lot of them, for some reason, they want to spend 200 million, 250 million on a movie, which means that they're more risk averse. Yeah. So whatever they can do to please as many different people as possible, that's the option that they're going to take. But that so often backfires. It's a problem because it's no longer art at that point, is it? It's just... It's a toy advert. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's basically what Starship Troopers is taking a piss out yeah, of with, yeah. with the adverts and the guns Absolutely, and selling yeah. the guns to the kids. Yeah, but I, I think nowadays it's yeah, there's too there's just too much money on the line. I think that's that's everyone wants to make as much money as possible, and they're so afraid of failing that they just make the safe choices every time. And movies like Starship Troopers are such a gamble, but gambles that pay off because it made money in the end. Yeah. Well, they don't always they don't always pay off. I mean, another gamble that, that whatever Hoven took was Showgirls, and that's a piece <laughs> of shit. And we, like we were saying, we watched that documentary. Um, what, I mean, they was, called it a masterpiece of shit. They called it a masterpiece <laughs> of shit. Yeah, and I'm kind of curious to go back and revisit it. But but some of the lines that they showed in that movie, I, I'm thinking, no, he's he was trying something, and I yeah from the documentary, I can see what he was going for. But it it wasn't a good movie, but it was a fucking good swing. Oh, he swung for the fences. Yeah. Yeah. And I kind of admire the fact that he took some of the flack or tried to take some of the flack off Elizabeth Berkeley, for yeah. example, saying, well, I directed her that way. It's on me. Yeah. But it was kind of too little too late by that point. It was, her career it, had been tanked. Yeah, you're right. It was too little too late. But I, I kind of think now on most movies, though, if there's a bad performance, it's, it's usually the director, you know, because if you can get a good performance out of people like Arnold... That's because yeah. they've been directed, like early Arnold, that's yeah. because they've been directed correctly for the piece that they're in. Yeah. I think that's the same for a lot. And it's something that's not really talked about an awful lot. But I think having people like Verhoeven taking huge swings for me is incredibly important. I think the way that he makes movies is unique to him. He kind of seems to take an approach where everything to do with the making of the movie is a statement on the piece itself, whether it be the line delivery, the musical choice, the way that it's shot. I think viewing it through the lens of the entire thing being a propaganda film kind of makes it a lot more palatable as well. Yeah. Because there's so many scenes that just are absolutely ludicrous. Like the the scene where Denise Richards and Amy Smart are running through the, uh, is it the aircraft? The spaceship. The spaceship. spaceship. Yeah. And she's literally sliding down the fucking stair, the, the banner 
what's it called? Uh, the Bannister. rail. The thingy. Yeah. <laughs> um, and it's so ludicrous. Yeah. And you're watching it going, what the fuck is this? But viewed through the lens of it, the whole thing being a propaganda film, it makes perfect sense. Yeah, because it, 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 it's. I think that's the only way to view it. And because it all makes sense at that point. You're going, yeah. it's, oh, they're being super cheesy, but that's because they want us to admire these people because they're these ideals. They, they look ideal. They, they act like an, in an ideal way. And they've got to make it look like they're having fun. Otherwise, who would want to be a part of it? Yeah, they're having a fun time adventure, which is funny because when Paul Verhoeven was very, very young, he did describe his time growing up in a kind of uh, an area that was constantly being bombed because it was, you know, uh, near a Nazi base. Nazi occupation, yeah. So he was constantly being attacked. But when the way he remembers it, is was it was kind of a fun adventure because he was you know he's five years old he's a kid at that point you don't know any better maybe it is you know maybe you're hiding in a in a bomb shelter somewhere and you don't fully comprehend what's going on and it, it feels like a like a break from the norm or whatever I don't know can we take a little time to talk about some of the cast because we've not touched on quite a few major players mm. Doogie Hauser Doogie Hauser yes Neil Patrick Harris mm. he's not in it very much. And I'm kind of grateful for that. He's probably one of my least favourite amongst the cast. Really? That's yeah. interesting. Why, why is he the least favourite? He's just kind of slimy. I don't like his character. Mm. You're not really supposed to. He's supposed to be slimy. Yeah. Casper Van Dien is just Blandy McBlanderson. But again, it's got to be intentional. Same with Denise Richards. They're both just like absolute white bread. Yeah. Well, they're, they're, Casper Van Dien's character particularly is just repeating words that he's heard. Yeah. And also Casper Van Dien, the actor, is just repeating words <laughs> from the page. So it's, yeah, it works, man. Yeah. No, it does. It, it works. It, does. it works. But yeah, there is, I haven't, don't think I've seen him in anything other than a Starship Trooper movie. Same. Yeah. Which is crazy because I know his name. Like he's, he's not unknown. Yeah. But yeah, I couldn't tell you one other thing he'd been in. Isn't that wild? Um, there's a few other kind of familiar faces. Um, Denise. Seth Gilliam. Oh, Seth Gilliam. Yeah. He's a walking dead, isn't he? He is a walking dead. Yeah. Yeah. He's pretty good in this. Yeah, sugar, sugar something he's called, I think. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> I'm I'm terrible with character names, you know I am. Um, I'm just going to refer to people by their actor names. Um, Jake Boosie, annoying as fuck, but isn't he always? Yeah, Ace. He yeah. plays Ace. That guy from, what was that show? Shasta McNasty. <laughs> One third of Shasta McNasty. Yeah. That's going to alienate our audience. Um. Who else? Who have we got? Clancy Brown. Can Clancy Brown do audiobooks, please? I bet he probably has. He's got the best voice. It's between him and Stephen McHattie. Mm. Best voices. Dean Norris, pigeonholed, yet again. Has he ever played anybody who isn't military or law enforcement? Think uh, of one. I can't. No. I can't think of one. He hasn't done it. But he might be the most typecast person on the face of this earth. Yeah. They're minerals, Marie. <laughs> Who else? Who else we got? We've already talked about Ironside. Um, I think that's it, isn't it? Ironside improves everything he's in. Uh, Dina Meyer. Oh, Dina Meyer. Yeah, that's right. Meyer, Meyer. One of a number of police officers who was killed in the Saw franchise. That's the only other thing I recognise her from. Okay. Um, can I tell you a potentially controversial opinion? Dizzy over, what's her name? Carmen. Carmen. Okay. I always forget her fucking name. Dizzy every time. Yeah. Nobody else agrees with me. 
13 year old me definitely wouldn't agree with no, you. No, I know. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, it's Carmen. I'm sorry. I thought about Still. it. Still. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, no. No, you will not. Sh- my, my opinion is unshakable. I'm not trying to shake your opinion. <laughs> <laughs> he chose wrong. So we've talked about the whole thing being a propaganda piece, mm. but there is further propaganda within the larger propaganda piece. Like, obviously, uh, we talked about the fact that we're supposed to view it as a documentary, kind of. It's got a bias, as, you know, documentaries by their very nature tend to have a bias. But there are kind of TV spots within it, aren't there? Sort of, particularly towards the end. And they've got the bits that are kind of censored or redacted because it's sensitive information or it's unsuitable for TV. Mm. And they, they come across very sort of... They're very 1950s, considering it's supposed to be 2197. Mm. They're very like colorized 1950s. So how do they fit into the the wider picture? If um, the whole thing is supposed to be a propaganda piece, what what yeah. does what's the function of the the idents, the smaller adverts? I guess what you just said is propaganda within a propaganda. Okay, so it's just an infinity mirror of. I guess so. Propaganda machine. I guess so. It wasn't until we watched it the other night that that sort of started to undermine that point for me a little bit. But I guess it could be seen as Verhoeven just doubling down, couldn't it? How do you feel? I'm going to have to ask you. How do you feel about Verhoeven's treatment of female characters? You knew it was coming because you know me as a whole, but obviously with specific reference to this film in particular. I can tell you that I think the one of the coolest entrances of a female character in any movie is Officer Lewis in RoboCop. Okay. And and then also in this, it's kind of uh, just not a factor. It's it's not mentioned. It's not it's not important what people's genders are in this. It's yeah. Well, it's funny. I've been thinking about this more since we watched the Showgirls documentary last night, actually. Mm. Because until we watched that, I think I was of the mind that he does sort of view things through a quite a progressive lens. The best example of that is the the kind of co-ed shower room, mm. which sort of blew me away the first time I saw this. I couldn't believe like, oh my God, gender neutral shower rooms. That's, that's so progressive. Like, how's nobody done this before? So I think in some ways, and I'm inclined to give him the benefit of the doubt, I want to give him the benefit of the doubt. I think in some ways he definitely respects women. He wa- he seems to want to empower his female characters. But then there is like that troubling element of not tokenism, but there's an undercurrent of sexual violence in a lot of his films. Sometimes women are the victims, sometimes they're the perpetrators. It's not cut and dry, that's for sure. But I don't know. I'm a bit confused. Well, many things can be true. So it's not like he maybe have will have one viewpoint and then that's that's just it in a vacuum. I think he he probably is very progressive. Mm-hmm. I think in this movie, gender is just not important. I've I've heard him speak, and that seems to ring true with the way he speaks. And just he just doesn't really care too much about the differences between men and women. He doesn't really see any difference. Yeah, and I I know he's often called like jokingly a pervert and stuff, yeah. but he he does seem pretty equal opportunity as far as nudity goes. Yeah, and and when you mentioned the uh, the violence, I think he just depicts violence full stop in yeah. movies, and that can be sexual and that can be non sexual. I think my only real gripe is that he doesn't necessarily treat those topics with the sensitivity they require. He's 
not a sensitive filmmaker. No, he's not he? subtle. No, he's not subtle. He's not. Um, yeah, he's just not very subtle. It's very in your face. People's hands get blown off and people get shot in the dick in his movies. <laughs> it's a glorious moment. Yeah. <laughs> but I think he probably is quite progressive. And I do, well, on Starship Troopers, apparently him and his DOP were quite happy to also take their trousers off. I heard while that. While they were shooting well. the shower yeah. scene. Now, I wasn't there. So <laughs> that would have been weird. I would hope that the context. Um, I'm not sure it's ever appropriate, but I'm, I would hope that the context it, it, that it was appropriate. Um, obviously, it would have been a closed set, I guess, by '97, and you've got a bunch you of people naked, so, yeah. so it would only be the key people, key crew members that that were there. Would a scene like that necessitate um, like intimacy coordinators these days, yeah. or is that more for just sex scenes? I, I would say, um, well, that's a good question. Um, I, don't, I wasn't sure if that's just like a one-on-one -on -one kind of making sure everybody's comfortable. But then if there's a room full of naked people, I don't know. Surely that's going to make some people less comfortable. Well, I don't think they would make a movie now for $100 million where there's a room full of naked people. <laughs> no, absolutely not. But I think, yeah, it probably would be a, a coordinator on set, I would think. Even yeah. if it's just nude scenes with a group of people. Okay. Um, at least to just make people comfortable, you know. Are you okay? How do you feel about the scene? Um, we I can think do that's this, a good idea. I think so. Yeah, yeah, just having someone on set that's just a friendly ear. It doesn't yeah. have to be a coordinator or whatever, but if you Somebody designate someone. you can someone, vocalize concerns too. Yeah. Yeah. So it doesn't, I mean, on surface of it, it doesn't sound great that he's just whipped his trousers off in that, in that scene. <laughs> but I, I, I gather that it was maybe to help everyone feel comfortable. It's like, look. Like, well, I'm hoping there was a conversation that preceded it and it wasn't just apropos of nothing. <laughs> just walked on set, yeah. Yeah. Hey, guys. I mean, he's European. <laughs> yeah. So, you know. Well, um, wasn't the DOP raised in like a nudist colony or something? I, don't, I, I did read that somewhere, so. Well, I read that he was European, which is pretty much the same thing. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, we're European, right? <laughs> no, we're not. <laughs> no, we're European. We're just not in the European Union. I, I thought... We're still in Europe, Dan. Are we? Yes. All right. Geographically. All right. I didn't do geography good at school, <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah, no. I, I thought that was um, an interesting anecdote. Yeah. I would love to know precisely how that went down, though. Yeah, I think it's the the key to the to that is in the details. Um, yeah. It's kind of people talk about it and it's kind of laughed about on podcasts and stuff. So I gather that it was probably fine and everyone was fine with it, but who knows, you know, at this stage of where we are in society, who knows it's what's anyone's come guess. Out. Yeah. I, I yeah. don't know, but um, I would reserve too much judgment until you sort of, you know, the full story, but yeah. I don't know. Are there any films you would directly compare this to? Do you think? Yeah. Th there's a film called Robocop. That's <laughs> oh very, um, <laughs> it's I've got seen that coming. Are there any films you would directly compare this to that aren't RoboCop? Yeah. Um, there's a film called Showgirls. Dan. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no. Are we going to have to have words? All right, no, seriously. There was a, there's a film that came out in 1990 called Total Recall. And Daniel. <laughs> <laughs> I actually, I think um, maybe... It's difficult. I've been struggling. He's such a unique filmmaker unique voice unique style but i think some of the themes cross over with things like maybe um 
District Nine comes to mind. Okay, maybe yeah. with the just the, the the treatment, the otherness of the aliens. You know, we, we, oh, we the, mu- it's us and them. Yeah, we I must mean, separate. We, you know, and the, the propaganda surrounding that. We're seeing that more and more this season, obviously. But yeah, this film definitely exemplifies like, oh, other destroy. Yeah. Don't yeah. try to understand. Just fear it and destroy it. Yeah. And we've seen that kind of on a sliding scale so far this season, but this very much exemplifies that, doesn't it? Yeah, and Arrival had a little bit of that, didn't it? Where it was, yeah. where the aliens or, or the the uh, what they said was offer weapon, and they the media changed it to use weapon, and it yeah. was a propaganda push on fear mongering. So there's that kind of through line there between Arrival and this movie. I was also Jojo Rabbit a little bit, just in terms of how. A young mind can be influenced yeah. to a certain way of thinking. Obviously, that's about a boy that grew up in uh, around Nazis and was uh, part of the Nazi youth. Yeah, um, he's obviously imaginary friend was was Hitler, <laughs> um, <laughs> which on paper sounds insane. But yeah. what a film! Yeah, it's an incredible, incredible movie. But it's it's, I think, just an honest way of saying, look, this is how minds are influenced, particularly yeah. young minds, particularly minds that don't necessarily have minds like in starship troopers <laughs> um just blindly following just orders. blank slates blank slates good hair yeah exactly <laughs> i think those are the movies that spring to my mind have you got any yeah. that no direct comparisons that i could think yeah. of it's kind of in a league of its own there are certain films it almost seems to be parodying at points clancy brown's performance definitely to me almost felt like a direct parody of arlie ermy in full metal jacket that kind of thing yeah do you get me yeah, yeah. <laughs> so there are shades of the things but it's very much its own beast yeah it takes a bunch of stuff and just sort of runs in its own direction it's yeah. super interesting um, yeah, I, I had those two comparisons written down, but I was really reaching to try and find something. It's tough, and yeah. And it was, it, it was only slithers as well, mm-hmm. just like certain aspects of this movie that I could relate to other films. It's pretty unlike anything else we're covering this season, yeah, I think. I think so. It's definitely its own beast. Um, yeah. Which, funnily enough, was was the name that people in Holland used to call Paul Verhoeven. <laughs> I can believe it. The beast, yeah. <laughs> the beast. The beast. I think as the thing... That I kind of am questioning more with this movie as I've gotten older as well is the motivation behind the war. Why is there a war? What happened? Obviously, we're told that the bugs attack Buenos Aires by Mm -hmm. hurtling an asteroid at the Earth. Yeah. But I think, was it a natural disaster? Yeah, was it accidental? That was spun? Yeah. Did it even happen at all? Mm Mm-hmm. there's that. Obviously, it's a movie within a movie. So, or is it? Oh, no, <laughs> but yeah, so it's interesting. Did that happen? Are they spinning it? Are the bugs just defending their homes? Have we flown in there because, oh, look, they've got gold or lithium or some, some precious resource that we can most likely, it's that. Yeah. And we're setting up camp on these planets to mine resources. They've defended their home and now we've declared war on the bugs. I think that's probably where this movie is coming from. Yeah. Or just exploration and they've gone, oh shit, this planet isn't uninhabited. We're going to have to kill everything that's here because what other option is there? Yeah, exactly. So we can do with it as we please. Yeah. And it's, but there's a very telling part where a sky marshal says humans must dominate now and forever because we're the best thing since sliced bread. God damn. Aren't humans great? No. No. We're the worst. Yeah. Let the brain bugs take charge. It's kind of (laughs) cute. 
What the brain bug? Yeah, I, it's pretty gross, but it, <laughs> it's the most it's the most human looking bug because it kind of has a face. Yeah, I think that's the point. I think that's what Tippet was going for. You know, it makes sense that they look like insects because most humans do not like insects. It works. So if they're just larger versions of what we already fear on a yeah. very small scale, then naturally. I think a lot of instinct is going to go to, ugh, destroy. Yeah, disgusting. Yeah. yeah. And we're all kind of afraid and think they look gross and, and whatever. But yeah. I would try to befriend them. Would you? I quite, I'm kind of into entomology. Just going to say it. <laughs> In the book, they're bugs, but they do have technology. They, they have like laser cannons and stuff. So I don't know how that would have translated to a movie. So, Some of them don't even have arms. How would that work? Yeah, but, but you're right. The aesthetic of a bug is because it's kind of familiar and it's something that humans, for the most part, don't enjoy. A large, yeah. a large portion of the population kind you of recoil You would like stamp on it or swat it away. Or... Well, I, I wouldn't, but I would no, you like shoot it away. You know what but, I mean. But yeah, and there's even an advert where the kids are stamping on, on bugs. Oh, cockroaches, and the, yeah. Cockroaches, and the, the, the teacher is gleefully clapping and yeah. laughing, maniacally laughing. And oh, man, if you're not getting the satire. That, <laughs> yeah. Like, Something's gone Who wrong are here. You? Yeah. <laughs> what was I saying? <laughs> That's my train of thought. Bugs, squashy bugs. Yeah, bugs. Really. Yeah, a good. Yeah, a good way to clue you in or, or to make you think a certain way. Yeah. Um, but I do think with the brain bug, it was a different design, and by the end of it, you're meant to sort of go, "Ah, oh, it's kind of got a face." Mm. And then, particularly when Doogie Howser touches it and says that it's afraid, Aww. we're meant to. Uh, I mean, obviously, everyone's celebrating in the cast. The cast of characters are firing in the air. And yes, it's afraid. And isn't that good? But you're also kind of, as a, I think, as an audience member, I think the correct reaction is to go, oh, like you just did. Yeah. That's not, that's not, that's not good. Like, that's what? cruel. Yeah. So obviously, there are questions over how this war starts, what the motivations are. And um, it's a reflection of the ways that society could go. I don't God, think let's this- hope not. I wouldn't sit here and say this movie is prophesizing ways things the way things are going to go, and not at all. But it is interesting that you take certain elements from their time period. It's interesting that the book was written in the fifties, so it's taking some fifties concepts, applying some nineties concepts, and just coming up with its own kind of trajectory looking forward. Yeah, and it's not necessarily the way things are going to go, but you can kind of see from certain nuggets. Um, and it's also kind of depressing that we haven't come that we haven't come along that far since the 50s yeah and also like you see i think i think we some of us are kind of wiser now to propaganda yeah but we're not as evolved as we think we are no but many people aren't really uh, familiar with the way propaganda works and you see news clips and we need to go and fight this country now for this reason Mm. and who knows what the reason the real reasons are because we will never know it's always money. It, Just it's, assume money. Yeah. <laughs> it, it, but it's it's the one thing that, that's always the same is it's always a common enemy. And I kind of see pockets of that now just on the internet. Hmm. And just, you know, whether it's whatever echo chamber you're in, if it's a manosphere or... Um, Alex Jones. Yeah, conspiracy theories. <laughs> Something about frogs, I don't know. Yeah, but it's always from a place of... Um, they they are trying to change this thing. Yeah, they are trying to shut this person up. Divide and conquer. Yeah, it's always based on some kind of fear. So I think, if anything, I think 
watching this movie in 2023 it makes me think of the pockets of influences on the internet and possible ways they they could go which is worse bring on the giant bogs yeah i'd rather deal with that yeah so before we start wrapping up i've got a couple of bits of um trivia so this i don't think it holds the record but it's quite close to holding the record for the amount of rounds of blanks spent it's up there they also used 17 gallons of fake blood. Blimey. I don't know where that stacks up against Brain Dead, but I'd love to know. <laughs> Got to be close. Did you know Mark Wahlberg turned down the role of Johnny Rico? I was just looking at my note that said Mark Wahlberg and Matt Damon auditioned. I didn't know that he was actually offered the role. I read that he was offered the role and he turned it down. Well, Presumably because the uh, enemy weren't minorities. <laughs> <laughs> there, I said it. I hate Mark Wahlberg. <laughs> He's a prick. <laughs> Sue oh, me. Yeah. <laughs> well, I didn't know that he was offered a role. I think maybe that works because he can't act either. <laughs> <sighs> I'm... Mm, I Listen, I'm, I'm glad it wasn't him. I'm, I'm glad as well. I yeah. joke. I, I'm not a fan of Mark Wahlberg. I, I struggle to think of a single movie that I enjoy of his. I, there is one. I know there is, but I can't think of it. He just seems like a detestable human being. So I'd have, yeah. I would have struggled to enjoy the film no, I'm not on a that fan. merit. Um, what, what other um, pieces of trivia do you have? Um, it was nominated for an Oscar for Best Visual Effects, but it lost out to Titanic. Yeah, I can understand that. But the visual effects are incredible in this movie. Yeah, they're good. They, they they're hold good. up even now. It's, it blows my mind. Mm. I still think it looks great. And you've got to remember that particularly that outpost scene, it's all daylight. Mm-hmm. It's not We're not trying to hide in shadows and, and, and yeah. darkly lit spaces. It's all daytime and it looks fucking great. And some of it was practical. A lot of it was CGI, but some yeah. of it was practical, which I think is the best combo. I think it was, it's right on that cusp where we're still doing practical, but using CGI to enhance. Obviously, yeah. Tippett coming from Jurassic Park, which is the ultimate version of that. Yeah. Using practical, but as you say, improving it slightly with, with CGI. I mean, it had to be Titanic that year, though, didn't it? Yeah. I've got a trivia. Do you want me to do a trivia? Go on, then. You? Well, you know that shower scene that we were talking about earlier? Mm-hmm. Apparently that was um, their bad weather cover scene. So if they got rained off a set, they would all go inside and shoot the shower scene. Because they were already wet. <laughs> Save on water. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, it was more of just a backup so that if they couldn't film outside. Did that- you know the body count was 256? Million? <laughs> just 256. Oh, on screen m- deaths, oh, presumably. Right. I was going to say, how many died in Buenos Aires? Uh, I wouldn't like to say. It was at least two Jimmy's parents. <laughs> yeah. I know that during filming, uh, a lot of the cast suffered really badly in the heat. And Jake Boosie specifically got heat stroke because they were working in 120 degree sun. Oh, nasty. Yeah. I heard, I've got a little one about Jake Boosie as well. You know, the knife throwing part. Yeah. So apparently he had a lot of knife throwing training. So when it came to the part where he's supposed to miss, he just couldn't miss. He kept hitting the target. <laughs> And, he, and it was super stressful. I heard him talking on a podcast because it took about half an hour to reset the scene because it was a big oh, crane right. shot with lots of extras and lots going on in the background. And he kept hitting the target. Uh, and someone eventually said to him, like, look, just imagine the target is another 10 or 20 yards beyond what it is. And then he, na- he nailed it after that. And when I say nailed it, I mean he missed his target. <laughs> Put your hand on that wall. <laughs> <laughs> I love Clancy Brown. Yeah. They also reused some of the battle gear in uh, Firefly. Firefly, the Joss Whedon TV the, show. Yes, space western, that space thing that everyone goes on about and loves. Yeah, it's great. 
I haven't seen it. So <laughs> I've seen that movie that it's based on. Serendipity. Serendipity. Ser- Serenity. Serendipity. Yeah. I've seen that. That was all right, I guess. I didn't really get I mean, it. It wouldn't it was... make much sense if you hadn't seen Firefly. Yeah. That's it for me. I've got one last question, though. Go on. What's your favourite scene? I, re- I enjoy the outpost scene, I think. I really, no, I, I enjoy no. it. I en- what? What's what your favourite scene? What do you mean? In Starship Troopers. That's what I was saying. The outpost scene. The scene with Dean Norris, where he looks like a child wearing his father's jacket. Oh, yeah. That, always, <laughs> that image always seemed a bit odd to me. Yeah, yeah you're right. <laughs> Go on. Give me, your, give me your genuine answer. Um. I think it's it's a mixture. It's it's either uh, the Clendathu invasion, mm-hmm. where the Basil Polidorus score is just going, and also the outpost scene where the bugs are attacking the fortress that they're in. Come on, you apes! You want to live forever? Like it's just such an exciting scene for me. It's shot so well. There's lots of extras. There's lots of props and just lots going on. And the production design is incredible and it looks great and sounds great. And it just gets me going. Okay. And I know I'm supposed to not think that way, <laughs> but it, it, that's why this movie works for me. Because I am sort of punching You're susceptible air. to the propaganda, Dan. Yeah, I am. We're, propaganda. Propaganda. <laughs> but we all are. And that's that's the point. If you get the information yeah. correct, just finally tuned just for your the way that you can view things, then it's going to work on you. It's like no one's, no one's you know, immune to it necessarily because it can be so insidious and just mm. cleverly woven into things. Do you think the first third of Edge Edge of Tomorrow owes a little bit to some of those scenes? Yeah, I mean, a, a bunch of sci-fi is probably influenced by this, I would say now. We've probably underestimated how far-reaching its influence actually is. Yeah, I think so. It's yeah. definitely it's a, taken on a huge cult status now. Deservedly so, I think. I think it deserves all the praise that it gets nowadays. I enjoyed this at the time, but for very different reasons. Yeah. My mum hated it. I saw it with her <laughs> at cinema. She said it was too cheesy. It just didn't make any sense. Um, which is a fair assessment that's fine too yeah yeah listen if it's just if it's not your sort of film you're not into sort of action sci-fi then fair enough yeah um but it's just it's action sci-fi at its best because it's doing lots of different things and it's also making you question why you're enjoying something yeah and i just think that that's the best that i can't this is my favorite film i think that we're covering this season wow i i it's Robocop, Total Recall, and Starship Troopers are all five-star movies to me. I think they're all okay. masterpieces. I mean, it's a strong, strong trifecta. Yeah, yeah. And Basic Instinct, not so much. Um, it's not my my cup of tea, but he's made three five-star movies, and that's more than most directors do, in my opinion. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There, there are a few that have done that. Maybe James Cameron has done one or two, or two, or three, two. Carpenter for me. Yeah, Lou. No. <laughs> Yes, Lou Carpenter from Neighbours, <laughs> yeah. obviously. Yeah, obviously, yeah, JC, obviously, he's another one that just had an incredible run in the 80s. Mm. Um, yeah, so Starship Troopers then, are we are we done? Would you like I'm to done, know more? I'm done, yeah. You wouldn't like to know I'm more? I'm tired now. Okay, right. So let's announce what we're doing next week then, because next week is our Halloween <gasps> episode. Spoopy. We're going spooky and we're doing life force yeah which is a first time watch for both of us which is rare on this podcast yeah 1985 it's directed by tobe hooper and i've never seen it like you say i don't know how i've avoided it this long i really don't and i have no idea what to expect so yeah look forward to it 
Thanks so much for listening. If you've enjoyed the show, don't forget to subscribe and leave us a review wherever you listen to podcasts. You can stay up to date with us on Twitter, Instagram or TikTok at sth underscore pod or support us on Patreon. Everything will be linked in the description.